Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is brought to you by SeatGeek, the perfect place to buy and sell tickets. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. We'll be joined today by my teammate, DeAndre Jordan. We talk about his right-handedness. Let's do it. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, JJ Reddick. Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. I want to just thank everyone for your continued listening and support. I also want to say that I'm hoping this week I won't have as much nose breathing in the background while my guest talks. I apologize for that. We're working to correct the situation. We'll be joined a little bit later by my teammate with the Los Angeles Clippers, DeAndre Jordan. Uh, We have a really fun conversation, and uh, I know you'll want to hear it. I want to talk right now a little bit about Duke basketball. I haven't talked much since this podcast started about Duke. I don't want to be a, a homer all the time and spit the Duke propaganda, although I do drink the Kool-Aid. But I do want to talk a little bit about Grayson Allen. Now, I'm not condoning in any way these alleged trips that have happened over the past few weeks. I don't even know if they're intentional or not. I haven't spoken with Grayson about that, although I have spoken with Grayson recently. I do want to talk about this notion of the Duke villain. For whatever reason, and we can go into a ton of different reasons why, but for whatever reason, there seems to be this, uh, and I, I like to call it a myth, there seems to be this myth of this Duke villain. And more oftentimes, the Duke villain is white. He's a white player. And it goes from you know Danny Ferry to Christian Leitner to Steve Wojciechowski to Chris Collins to Mike Dunleavy, to J.J. Redick, to Greg Paulus, to John Shire, and now it's Grayson Allen. He's this villain. And I think it's fine for an opposing fan base to choose a player to root against, or maybe you dislike certain guys. My issue, though, is I think the media has perpetuated this white Duke villain myth as much as anyone. Grayson is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. John Shire is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Never seen John Shire do anything dirty. Greg Paulus, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Chris Collins and Steve Wojciechowski, I get two complete assholes, both of them. No, I'm kidding. They're great guys. You know, and and me too. I, I probably, in a way, brought on some of the animosity towards me with antics, the smiling, the head bobbing, the trash talking. But to be honest with you, it was more in reaction to the hate that was already coming my way before I ever really did anything to warn it. It's almost like every time there's a there's a player at Duke, the media says, oh, you should dislike this guy. I can remember being in school my senior year. Greg Paulus was a freshman. 
And there were numerous articles that year. Greg Paulus is the next hated Duke player. So the media, I guess, was choosing who we should hate. The media was saying, like, this guy is the next guy. And then the following year or the year after, whenever it was, it was John Shire. He's the guy you're supposed to dislike. And now, you know, recently there was an article in ESPN, which, to be honest with you, I, I participated in the interview and, and in the process of, of Dana O'Neill writing the article. And I thought the article was, it is what it is. Uh, she didn't seem to kind of go off the rails against Duke or wasn't as anti-Duke as as some people might think it is. But she kind of said the same thing. Like, now we're supposed to dislike Grayson Allen. He's the next in line. Why, why, why though? Why? Why does there have to be a next in line? Like, if you didn't like Leitner, that's fine. If you didn't like Chris Collins, that's fine. If you didn't like me, that's fine. I, whatever. Does it really have to be like every Duke team? You, you, there has to be a guy you dislike. You know what? But dislike Duke. I, I, I get that. But like to vilify some guy just because, honestly, because he's white and and because he plays a certain way, he's not a villain. Like Grayson Allen is not a villain. John Shire, Greg Paulus, these guys were not villains. I just disagree with it. And I've been around the Duke program going back to 2000, so basically half my life. And we're not perfect. I don't think any program is perfect. We've certainly had guys, myself included, that maybe didn't make the best decisions in college. Um, But how is that different from any other school? I just, I don't know. I, I get why... There is some animosity towards Duke. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I I would hesitate if I were some people to anoint someone a villain based on the fact that he's white and he plays for Duke. Don't agree with it. All right, on to something a little more exciting. I want to give everyone a heads up. Tuesday of this week, I will be making an appearance on the Late Late Show with James Corden. I'm very, very excited about this. It'll be my first time on late night television. A couple months ago, the executive producer and showrunner for The Late Late Show, a gentleman by the name of Ben Winston, asked me if I would appear in a a bit they do on the show called Take a Break. It's essentially where James Corden replaces someone at their job for the day and attempts to do their job, and The Late Late Show films this sequence. So for this bit, I don't want to go into too much detail, but James is a realtor and I'm a prospective buyer of a home. So I'm, I'm going to be appearing in this bit and then right after I'll be doing an interview with James. So please tune in. Another exciting thing is Ben, he's, he's British and he's probably the funniest person I've ever met in my life. He will be a guest on the podcast in about three weeks I'm really looking forward to that episode. He's promised me he's got some great material. He actually used to have a podcast in England. He's a huge Arsenal fan, and he used to have a podcast in England for Arsenal fans. So uh, he, he's going to be one of our most dynamic guests that we'll ever have, and I'm very excited about him coming on the show. Another cool thing about Ben is that he's he's really good friends with Adele. Now, I don't necessarily listen to Adele all the time, but I, I do think she's the greatest singer probably right now. I don't know that anyone has a better voice than Adele. I love her music. Um, Hello is just a great song. And she's going on a world tour. 
and she's coming to Los Angeles, which I'm very excited about. She'll be here in early August, and I believe the tickets sold out in about 29 minutes, and she's doing like three shows. So the tickets sold out in like 29 minutes, so I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to get tickets? Well, hopefully Ben will hook me up because he knows Adele, but I doubt that will happen. So, you know, my next best bet is to use SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a site that I use. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and uh, I'm going to use it to look for tickets for the Adele concert. I'm wondering if anyone else has been frustrated trying to buy tickets online. Most sites make it pretty complicated, and they all try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. Uh, That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to to look for tickets. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, they show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. And I have a cool deal for you. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. And we're now joined by my teammate, Los Angeles Clipper, DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre, thanks so much for coming on the show. Ah, yeah, yeah. As the crowd screams. Thanks for having me, JJ. It's about time. Really well, appreciate this opportunity, bro. This is only the fifth podcast. Well, I mean, so. I, I thought I was going to be top three, but I mean... It just shows how much you care about me as a teammate. So You're only the second guy on our team to come on this, and you're the first guy on our team to have kind of be the featured guest. So congrats oh, on okay. that. I knew you were holding out for something. Um, so you, you and I played last night in Sacramento. You had a really, really nice dunk in the fourth quarter. It was a, it was a lob. You caught it with your left hand and dunked it. And really, other than shooting free throws, it was the first time I've seen you use your left hand in about three months. Um, and so I want to apologize to you. I kind of put you on blast this week. Um, I yeah, said jokingly to the media after our game against Phoenix that I thought you were right-handed, um, which I kind of do. So, I mean, are, are you in denial? Are you, a, are you a righty and you're just in denial? I think I am. Uh, I think I just want to be so different and I want to be left-handed so bad that I've been doing it for so long and I just want to stick with it. No, honestly, I just think that I'm the only left-handed person in my family, so that's kind of weird. But I just think that they tried to make me do a lot of stuff right-handed early, and now I'm just okay at both of them. Well, I I think you're, in a way, more dominant right-handed. I know you you obviously shoot a basketball left-handed. Is there anything else that you don't do right-handed? I mean, do you write with your left hand? I write lefty. I bowl righty, which is weird. You bowl righty. You throw... Full court passes righty because you threw one to me in Philly the other day with your that right you hand. That you could have dunked, but you laid it up. Yeah. I don't know. Just in a way, I feel like you're as much left-handed as I am. And I've also golfed with you, and you you swing righty. I do. And your dominant leg is left-handed. Yeah. Which is typical of right-handed people. But 
I just think just because, you know, you wear your watch on your right hand, it doesn't make you a lefty. Well, I, just, I mean, in cer- certain aspects, but I just feel like, you know, I'm just I'm gifted at both. You know what I mean? I would say so. I mean, most of the time you finish around the basket, it is with your right hand. Is that a conscious thing that you're doing? Or is it you just feel more comfortable kind just, of in yeah, terms of your touch with that hand? Yeah, I feel more comfortable that way. And I feel like a lot of the time the ball is just, I don't know, when I palm it, you know, naturally my hands are just huge. But naturally when I palm it and go up, it, it's with the right hand. Well, let's get to your free throws then. You know, you are left-handed. You shoot left-handed free throws. I'm only, of course, jiving with you that you're right-handed. Uh, you are a lefty and you shoot left-handed. And I've been with you now for three years and I've, I've witnessed, you know, every day after practice as I'm getting my extra shots up. The best three uh, years gra- of my life, by the way. Yeah, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> best three years of my life too. And, uh, but every day, you know, I'm doing my shots and I'm, I, I see you, you're one of the guys that stays after every day you're grabbing a coach and you're, I don't know what your routine is, but you, you're out there for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, you're always working on your free throws and, my question, I guess, to you is, at this point, is it something that's more physical because you have done the repetitions and, and it's just something that's limiting? Or do you think that free throws and shooting in general is as much mental as it is physical? I definitely think it's more mental than anything because you can get reps up in the gym as much as you want, hours and hours. But then when it comes to a game, uh, there's so many different aspects that are going on, so many different things. And I think that you know once you get – into that muscle memory kind of deal, then that just takes over. But like I said, in practice and after practice, you can knock as many down in a row as you like. But then in the game, it's just so different and the, the pressure's on and, and different things like that. But I just feel like uh, the more and more practice you get out of in a game, the better you get at it. So like I said before, I'm just going to keep shooting them the same way, bro. And then, uh, you know, it, it'll come. It'll come. I, I mean, your, your, your shot to me. The positive me, thing I'm is sh- I can only get better, right? Right. So, shit. Well, no, but the positive thing, too, is to me, you know, I'm a shooter, so I, I kind of notice certain things uh, in terms of a guy's form and his follow-through, uh, the arc on the ball, all that stuff. And all that stuff is improved. And it's something I can tell that you've spent the time and, and you've worked on. And I think that the muscle memory that you talked about, as, as that continues to become instinctual, you can only get better. The other thing, too, is I totally agree with you. To me, free throws are the most mental part of the actual game. It's yeah, the only it's the time. That it's, it's exactly. The only part of the game that it's, and all eyes are on you. Even during a play, like you might have the ball, but there's always some action off the ball. Uh, it might, you know, it might be you setting a screen and rolling, me rolling back up for a three, whatever it may be. There's other things you can watch that go on, but free throws right. are the one time in the game where everything stops. And unfortunately, everybody's eyes hundred percent focuses on one person. Yeah, yeah. And I've I've never asked you this before, but do you think that at times your struggle is it's almost like a self perpetuating cycle because it is that like there's that expectation now you're you're getting fouled. I mean, what what is the mindset there? I I know it's it's challenging. I mean, it's, it would be challenging for anybody. But what what is that mindset as as you're kind of getting fouled throughout the course of a game? I think before I was so frustrated and so nervous to go up there that I would just think like, okay, don't fucking airball it. Like I can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't airball it. Just don't do that. And then it'd be okay. You know, uh, I don't want to be on Shaq and the fool. That was my thing. Or, or right. bad about right. it on JJ's podcast. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, now I'm, I'm so much more comfortable at the line and I've gotten so many reps up that I, now I'm, 
I feel like now when I shoot it, I go up there so much more confident thinking, okay, I'm going to yeah. make this one. I'm definitely going to make this shot. Because a lot of them are just now long and short. They aren't left and right as much as they were before. So, um, Right. When you miss, it's not the bad misses anymore. Yeah. I also yeah, think with yeah. you, there's like an expectation now. Like you actually expect the ball to go in. I, I, I don't remember which game it was this week, but you went to the free throw line and you missed two free throws. They both look good. We came back to the bench. You were frustrated on the bench during a timeout. And I was like, yo, what's up? And you, I should make those free throws. And it was yeah. really the first time I've ever heard you say that. So, I, again, man, it's, you know, for a lot of NBA fans, you know, they, they want to kind of label guys. Okay, this guy's a shooter. This guy's a defender. This guy's a bad – whatever it may be. And so, to me, like, so much progress has been made. You're doing such a great job of working at it and fighting that mental aspect of it. Stay with it, bro. Stay with it. I love it. Yeah, yeah that's all <laughs> um, I can you know, do. That's good, though. Exactly. You know, a couple things happened three years ago that uh, were, were big for you. Number one, I signed with the Clippers, um, which has just been great for your life. But uh, more, <laughs> important, more importantly, uh, Doc became the head coach. Right. And you had had a, a nice career up until that point. But going into your sixth year, you've got a new coach, Doc Rivers, and I don't know what those conversations were like that summer, but I knew that he put a, a lot of expectation and a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, and you've obviously responded, and now you've become a star. Talk about like the role that Doc has had in that kind of resurgence in, uh, of your career. Man, Doc's been great, Jay. I mean, when he first got here, it was a lot of trade talks and trade rumors about me going to Boston and, and right. all I remember stuff. those, but... We went to dinner when he first got the job, and um, he, he told me that he wanted me to be here. He didn't want to trade me. Uh, he had taken calls because, obviously, you know, teams call about uh, about trades every day. But he told me he felt comfortable with me, and he wanted to win here with me, and he he thought I could do it here. And he believed in me, honestly. I felt like he was the first coach who really let me play through mistakes and gave me that confidence and, hey, you know, you can be the best defensive player, the best rebounder in this league. And um, when you have a coach that's backing you 150%, man, you can, you really honestly want to run through a wall for him. And uh, he's been that for me since he, since the day he got here, and uh, it's only continuing to get better. So I feel like he definitely was a huge part in uh, not only my success but our team's. So. Do you, I've always wondered this. Do you feel like prior to Doc getting here, all of the headlines – were grabbed by Chris and Blake, and and rightfully so. Right, Those are yeah. two of the best players in the league. But before the season even started, Doc kind of said, no, 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 we, it's not the big two, it's the big three. How much confidence did that give you going into that first year with him? Well, the first year I was like, what? Like, who's the third guy? Is it JJ? Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't know who he's talking about, but uh, but no, like I said, it was it was definitely a big big you know confidence booster, and after that it just kind of spiked, man. Um, and he also and he also said to you like immediately like DJ, you're going to play in the fourth quarter. Right. Whereas you know yeah. prior coaches, there was some indecision there. You know you would play heavy minutes for, through the first three quarters, and then a lot of times, I know the year prior. Um, you wouldn't always finish games. And, right. and so I know yeah, that was a frustrating that, 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 thing that was for you. Super frustrating, yeah. It's interesting to me that you are a star. I mean, and the way kind of NBA fans define stars, you know, so much of it relies on kind of the, the offensive statistics and points per game. That's kind right. of the, yeah. the headline grabber. But but you are a star. I mean, you're a great offensive player. You're, you're as much as Chris's pick and rolls and, and Blake's play and – 
and me and Jamal shooting as as much of that is important to our offense. What you do for us offensively is is just as important. And you've had to sacrifice a lot in terms of touches and shots and all that. And it was one of the reasons that you were kind of attracted going to Dallas. But the thing that's always struck me with you is how much of a team guy you are. Does that come naturally to you? Is that a conscious decision you make? I mean, honestly, I've had the best years of my career in L.A., and, and part of it is because you set amazing screens for me. <laughs> uh, no, man, it's uh, – I don't know. I, I think it comes, honestly, from being the oldest of, of three younger brothers. Uh, so it was always like a team deal with, with me. Uh, I will yeah. say, honestly, when I first got in the NBA, I thought it was all individual. And, you know, everybody wanted to get their stats and their numbers and things like that. But right. uh, when you go back to the root of it, man, I just think it's it's for one ultimate goal, and that's to be the last team – playing or the last team standing rather and I don't know I just feel like I'm definitely a big part of our, our team and uh and on different teams you know guys have different roles on one team maybe a scorer one team maybe a defender or screener or whatever it is but all those pieces come together for one ultimate goal and I found my niche in the NBA and what I'm good at and can be great at and I just feel like you know with with this team I found what, what I'm great at and what's going to help us win and, and get us to that mountaintop so I definitely think it roots from me being the oldest of uh, three younger brothers and uh, us being a team and and that whole team aspect. You, you talked about kind of embracing your niche and embracing your role. I think that's something that a lot of a lot of guys that aren't in the NBA that should be have struggled with. Yeah, I can think yeah, of yeah. five or six guys off the top of my head who are talented enough to be on a roster right now, but kind of won't embrace that. I got to do what my team needs. And Jamal and I kind of talked about this, but ultimately as athletes, stats are great, but people remember winners. People, you know, have a a higher opinion of teams that win, franchises that continually win, and and players that are part of those teams. And I think to truly leave a legacy in this league, you you have to win. You know, it's, it's funny. I know the answer to this question, but I got to ask you. You've been snubbed a couple times for for All Star appearances. I thought this year you had a great case to make it. Last year you had a great case to make it. For you, what would bring you more satisfaction: getting that recognition and, and making an, you know an All Star game, or winning a championship? Oh, I mean, I, obviously making the All Star game. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, man, make, winning the championship, dude. Uh, because that's something they can never take away from you. There, there's so many guys right. who are All Stars and score a lot of points, but have never made it out of the second round or never made it to the conference finals. And I'm pretty sure if they could, you know, take a couple of those all-star appearances away for a ring, I'm pretty sure any of those guys would do it. And uh, I just feel like once you win a ring with 13, 14 other guys, then you guys are bonded for life, man. And uh, I just – I know how close we are as teammates. And then, right. you know, for us to, you know, do something special like that and win a championship, it's something that – you're stuck. I mean, I'm probably going to be your friend forever, which I don't know how I feel about yeah. that right now. I actually told uh, Chelsea that I, I told Chelsea that the other day we were talking yeah. about different guys on the team. And I, and I, you know, there was a few guys that, that I said like, yeah, I'll be 60 years old and I'll still be in contact with these guys. And hopefully yeah. we'll be, you know, going on vacation together, having a beer or whatever it may be. Oh, I was I like, DJ's going to be one of those. Uh, DJ's going to be one of those guys. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, DJ's going to be one of those guys. No, but you, you kind of said it too. Like I've always said this, like winning is great. Don't get me wrong. Like winning is great. There is no equal to that. But winning with people that you actually care about and that right. you actually like, 
Yeah. Oh man, that's the ultimate. Yeah. What, what did I say your, last year? What did I say last year during the playoffs? What, what, what was the at the team? Oh dinner? yeah, you're like uh, you know I want I want to win the championship. I want to win the championship here. Like you guys don't get it. Like with you, with you guys, you motherfuckers. Yeah. I want a championship with <laughs> yeah. you motherfuckers. And that was the first time where I was like, wow, this is this is vintage Duke JJ Redick right here. This yeah, is the, the guy that the I hated evil, The loved. evil guy came out. Yeah, the loved evil it. guy came out. Loved but it. that's loved really it. how I, that's really how I've felt about every team I've been on with the Clippers. You know, it's and and I had a few teams like that in Orlando too. It's not like that's the only time I've ever had that in my career, but. You know, when I've also had some frustrating seasons where the people you go to work with and the people you compete with, um, there's a level of disconnect and, and that leads to some frustration. And, oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, to win, you know, when everyone is sort of connected and cohesive, it's, I mean, it's what San Antonio's done for the last 17 years and it's what Golden State is doing right now. There's just a cohesiveness and a level of respect for everyone on the team that, um, that kind of, honestly, it kind of makes you play better because you, you want to, you don't want to let the other guy down. Exactly. Cause you know, they, he doesn't want to let you down either. And you guys are just so bonded and off the, off the floor too. Like it's, uh, it's crazy because, you know, just the other night we had a team dinner, you know what I mean? And guys could have done their own thing, but everybody came and it was, it, it was fun. And it's not like something that's forced. And when you, don't have something that's forced. It, it makes it even better playing with guys like that. No question. You almost let me down last summer, by the way. I, I did I mean, tell you. I, I told you. what I texted you like the day before you made your decision. I was like, buddy, I just want you to be happy. Like I, yeah. And I mean that, man. I, I did want you to be happy. But selfishly, I wanted you to be happy in Los Angeles. Yeah, selfishly, uh, you know, I wanted we, you to drive down to Houston <laughs> and, and come and hang out with me for a day. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I got that. So I, you know, I, I get the reasons, and we've we've talked a lot, and I, and I've I've talked a lot about the hostage situation at your house in Houston, but like yeah, I wasn't how, down, I've never I wasn't asked you this the, the tie up shit I, that you guys did that wasn't cool. yeah that got weird. <laughs> oh, I, I've never asked you this, but how, like how surreal was that? Like for me, it was so surreal to be in that meeting with you know four or five guys, your parents. Steve Ballmer, who's worth like you know a gazillion dollars, uh, Doc's in there. Your mom is basically like leading the meeting. It was it was spectacular. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. But like it was it was just so surreal to me. I mean, at that point, we're all there. You know, you've you've made everyone fly in from all over the world, and you've made wow. me drive three hours to Houston from Austin. But like, had you made your mind up uh, when you guys came in? Like the first hour that we talked. It was a. Uh, it, it was pretty much uh, set for me that I was gonna. That I wasn't gonna leave and I was gonna stay. But one thing that I do remember about the meeting was somebody was really adamant and ready to leave. And um, I don't know if you remember. This, so hold on, let me get this right. You, after the first hour, you had made your decision because I'm pretty sure I stuck around for like another three hours. Yeah, um, yeah, but I didn't want to tell you guys that. I was like, you know, I'd rather these guys sit here and tell me how great yeah. I am and all this. It's the one day where we just like, <laughs> totally praise you. Yeah, and um, I didn't know it was going to be like that. Obviously, it was, but we were we were all over the place. Uh, no, but this guy, he was like, hey, so um, are, are we good here? Uh, are you, you going to stay? Right? Are we good? So I so I can go back home because Chelsea and my son need me. Uh, so, so I can leave. Are we good? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're good. Um, I don't know if you remember who that was, but. No, that, I'll take responsibility for that. That, that was me. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like 
I had done my job and, you know, I was trying to get home to my son, man. I wanted to put him to bed. And uh, as I've said before, I... I missed my turn in my excitement. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of that, did you did you make it home in time? No, no. Oh. I, I drove past the exit to Austin, and I ended up on a frontage road in San Antonio outside the airport. <laughs> so a two-and-a-half-hour drive turned into a four-and-a-half-hour drive. It was uh, it was very frustrating. But, um, you know, we've had a kind of an up-and-down season this year. You know, we, we get you back. We make – some off-season moves, and really some some good off-season moves, given our limited cap space and and our limited trade assets. You know, we we have traded some draft picks uh, over the past couple of years, and Blake's injury. What's your assessment of our team right now, man? Like we we t- we talked the other day in the hotel just about our team and the state of our team. I mean, I I know this sounds like I'm beating a dead horse, but like I'm still bullish on our team. I'm I'm still long on our team if I'm betting stocks. Like I still feel like that there's that window that's open. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with you, man. I just feel like we uh we still got a long way to go, but I feel like we got the right guys, the right character guys here. I just feel like you know we're um, I don't know whether it's because we've been you know having these injuries and these these situations that have been going on that have kind of been having us have an up and down season but I just want us to be great in April, May and June and for us to be hitting our stride now is uh we're we're on the right path but fuck man I want to win it and and that's that's the only thing that's really striving me and I think I I think you too um but I, it's it, it's tough because it's such a long season but I think we're all at the point of our careers uh, Jamal's like Benjamin Button, he's like 39 years old, going going on 18. He's a vampire. You know, I, I'm 31. Chris is 30. You know, you and Blake are still in your mid 20s, but you guys are on max contracts. I mean, it's like to me, it's like what's left. You know, what's left for us? And and there's only one thing that's left for us, and that's a championship. So anything short of that will be a huge disappointment. And yeah. whether that's you know, the first round, the second round, the conference finals, the finals, whatever it may be, like there's really at this point, it's like we either win the championship or there's another disappointment. Yeah. There's, there's really there's really nothing in between. Yeah, and it sucks because, you, you know, it's 82 games of long travel, game, you know, injuries, your body's tired, and then playoffs start. And then whenever, you, whenever your team loses in the playoffs, it's like, shit, now I have to wait. Another two months, and then another eighty-two games. I mean, the, the, the grind is just so long. I feel like mentally, you just kind of get beat yeah. down. That was uh, the hardest part, I think, for me last summer, and even at times this season. It's just like you know, we have a bu- bunch of guys that that do a great job of taking care of their bodies and eating right and doing extra stuff. And I mean, that takes like a level of mental and and physical commitment on a daily basis. And when you lose in the playoffs, the way we've lost the last two years, it's kind of like, God dang it, man. I got to do the same shit all over again for another eight months, for another 82 games, just to get back to the same point we were last year. Exactly. Um, And that's the toughest part, man. It is a tough part. Yeah. That's the toughest part. Just watching somebody else win, obviously. And then right. do training camp again, and well, not even training camp, summer workouts again, and then training camp, and then the grind of eighty-two games, and then the playoffs. Then it starts. I rather just every season start off <laughs> with the playoffs, and then just kind of take off from there. But 
it's a grind, dude. Shit. Oh, it's it's the toughest thing in our profession is just like the the daily grind, the travel. You know, it's it's a great job. I would never complain about having my job, but I don't necessarily think it's as glamorous as some people think it is. It is it is a job. Yeah. All right, DJ. So I've given you fair warning. We um, at the end of every podcast we have a segment called four on four uh-huh. do you get why it's called four on four um no nope, i dropped out of college so <laughs> i think that you should i'm number i'm number four and we're going to talk about four things okay ah okay oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. i figured we were going to talk about four things but i didn't even i didn't put that together all right so uh i've given i've given you the topic of the day so today's four on four in honor of you and your dunk shooting prowess, we are going to talk about our four favorite in-game NBA dunks. Okay. Uh, I, thought because this you, dunks, I thought this was just dunks, period, but I'm ready for in Well, I don't want to... No, I mean, in-game, I think I think they're better. Like, we well, can I mean, just have here, a whole discussion thing, about dunk contests talking, or... Yeah, no, but I'm saying we're talking you know, about in-game dunks, like NBA, any kind of level, then I, I was going to... no. You, know, I was gonna you were going to talk about... No, I was going to go back to this dunk that happened January 11, 2006 in Cameron Indoor Stadium against uh, oh Maryland. Um, <laughs> and there was this guy, number four. Uh, if that's your, was, if like, that was one. your favorite, if that was your one of your four favorite dunks ever, I feel sorry for you. I, mean, I thought you were going to talk hey, about, listen. I thought you were going to talk about some random putback dunk you had against Baylor when you were no, at no, Texas No, 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 no. No, I'm talking, hey, they say white men can't jump. I think that's bullshit because this kid can fly. I can't remember his oh, name, okay. but he definitely wore number four. All right. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. All right, I'm going to go first because I think we should save the best for last. And, and frankly, your opinion on this matter uh, carries a lot more weight than mine. All right, so so I'm going in descending order. Okay. Uh, and I've actually, I cheated this week. I've got five. Okay. 4A and 4B are Clipper teammates, and I couldn't cut one of you guys out. And they, they I'm not just saying this because y'all are on my team. Like These are two of my favorite dunks ever. Uh, the first one was your alley-oop dunk on Brandon Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the best alley-oop dunks I've ever seen. What made it so great also was your face, which has now become kind of a, <laughs> one of the all-time memes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's that your your face has been used in countless ways on the internet. And I'm a free drive afterwards too, bro. Give me that credit too. Yeah, I, was, I, didn't, I was more I didn't, excited I didn't, with that. I don't even think I, I, I watched the game. So I didn't know you made the free throw. Congratulations on that. A three-point play. Um, 4B for me. And you, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question after I say this dunk because you, you may have a different one. I had to put a Blake dunk in there. Right. My favorite one was the one on Perk. There was, yeah, yeah. The reason why was because when he hit Perk, he went higher. And anytime yeah, you see that, I like that, that one better than the like, dunk. Yeah. So, th- so that's your favorite Blake Dunk. Yeah. That sure. you've witnessed as his teammate. Okay. Yeah. So 4A, 4B, we go DJ on Brandon Knight, BG on Perk. My third favorite in game dunk in an NBA game was from the 90s, and it's Grant Hill on Alonzo Morning. Mm. Goes down the left wing, crosses up Dan Marley, and leans in and bangs on Zoe. And I think the play prior, something had happened. So there was like, 
there was like a sequence there where there was a reason that Grant was angry at Alonzo. Right. And you had Grant as a teammate. He's one of the more mild-mannered guys <laughs> you've ever been around. Yeah. And, and he dunked this with authority. 2A was Tom Chambers yep. on Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson, yeah. I got to ask you that. Did, did that dunk make your top four? That dunk, no, it didn't. But it was oh pretty good. Oh, my God. I, I, watched it one, like, I watched it like five times today. And when he hit him, he, Chambers got higher. It, it, his head, first of all, he's like, Tom Chambers is like 6'11". So he's running the floor. He's got old school Converse on. Probably not very good padding. And he takes off from the dots off one leg and, and just hits. An, his head's at the rim. His head's at the rim. He actually could have probably dunked it with his elbows if he wanted to put the ball there. Favorite white person in-game dunk. All right, my favorite dunk ever was Michael Jordan beating the double team on the baseline. Starks and Oakley tried to trap him. He gave him the little shimmy with the left hand, mm-hmm. and he bangs and won on Patrick Ewing. Yeah. This is also a playoff game. It's in the garden. Every angle you look at of this dunk is spectacular. And it's Jordan, who's my favorite player of all time. So that's my favorite dunk of all time. Those are my four slash five favorite NBA in-game dunks. I want to hear yours. Okay, you stole one of mine. Okay. So number four. I'm going to go with my teammate, Blake Griffin, over Kendrick Perkins. I just feel like the there was it was body-to-body contact, limited space, and vicious throwdown. Number three, I think I'm going to have to go with Sean Kemp over uh, Alton Lister. Lister. Is that the windmill, the windmill dunk off one leg? Off one leg, kind of came down on the right side and just like kind of scooped it. And then when 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 he fell, like he, Kemp was he pointed at, at him. him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That one. That one. Was, yeah, that was, was that was one of the ones that was like it was hard for me to leave that out. But yeah, that was and a great. Was, and that was, was also a playoff. Now, dunk. like that's a technical foul. You know what I mean? Right. But back then, it was just it, it, that was that was crazy. Um, number two for me was definitely Michael Jordan in the Garden over Patrick Ewing, just to duck over yes. one of the top shot blockers. Yes. Uh, of all time was uh, was was crazy, and the move before or prior, you know, like I said, he had one dribble after that to just power up over somebody seven two was uh, was crazy. Uh, number one for me, all time in Miami, Vince oh. Carter when he was with oh, the okay. Nets, got a steal and went behind the back, took one dribble, body to body with Alonzo Mourning, cocked it far back, and then just. Finished it hard, bro. That was that. That's, that's probably one of my. That's probably my favorite dunk of all time. So that dunk and the Sean Kim dunk were the two that were tough to leave out for me. Yeah, um, that one was. That, and I remember that one. I was like a sophomore in high school when that when he did that, and that was that was just insane, bro. It was crazy. So lately, there's been a lot of uh, kind of rhetoric amongst uh, former players talking about current players, and there's been a lot of shade thrown our way, specifically towards the Warriors. Um, you know, the the Suns saying, you know, Cedric Cabal saying that 93-94 Suns would beat them or, you know, Oscar Robertson talking uh, stuff about um, NBA coaches and, and defense now. I'm going to throw a little shade at former players. I wanted to include like an iconic Dr. J dunk or something. I mean, when, when I was researching this, like what are the best dunks ever? I was on YouTube for like an hour you know, going through and finding all this stuff. And 
man, I just like pre pre MJ, like I just didn't see it. I just didn't yeah. see it. Do you? I mean, even like the Doctor J rock the cradle dunk. Yeah, that was know, that like was you, cool, you, but it, you, like, it was nice. It was smooth, but it was like there there wasn't. I don't know that if maybe if the rim was breakaway, it would have looked nicer. But when like Vince Carter would dunk in his prime, like he would he would dunk with you know the lower third of his forearm. Like it was yeah, I feel it, like it was they were insane so much, how like, high he was. Yeah, they were so much more emphatic. You know what I mean? And and back it, then emphatic, it was, yeah, and clean, yeah, and it was. Yeah. I watched Dr. J's dunk on on Bill. I'm not. Th- I mean, just Dr. J was incredible. He's one of the greatest players of all time. But right. I watched Dr. J's dunk on Bill Walton in the finals, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I've, I see LeBron do that every night. Like it's right. not. I, I don't know. So like I feel like over time, obviously, like people have evolved over as, as better athletes, mm. and it just looks better, man. And there's, you know, you can't take anything away from Dr. J, obviously, but there's so many more people in the NBA who can do dunks like that. So like you see it so right. much right. that it's, it, it, it's like, right. wow, well, damn. Like, okay, I, I've seen that. You see, before. I, I, yeah, it's true. I think, you know, the, in terms of just, you know, the eye test and maybe it's cause the footage is grainy, but the eye test says to me, like, all right, you know, the great dunkers today and the great in-game dunks that we see today and that we've seen over the last, you know, 15 to 20 years are, are better. Yeah. I don't, you know, that's just just my opinion. Just take it for what it's worth. Um, I will see you tomorrow at practice. I really, oh, yeah, we got I really appreciate you uh, you giving us the time and thank you for your insight and and thank you for playing along with uh, your right handedness. Man, thank you. I really appreciate it, bro. Finally, I'm on the show. Yes. All right, DeAndre <laughs> Jordan. Thank you so much. All right, boss. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. I'd also like to thank my teammate DeAndre Jordan for coming on the show today. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to this podcast. You can tweet me at JJ Reddick for questions and comments. I'd also like to take a second to thank our sponsor, SeatGeek. I'll talk to you next week. Later. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Find your voice.